Welcome back to How AI Built This, um, the podcast dedicated to data and entrepreneurial storytelling. As always, we're brought to you by the wonderful people at Cathcart Associates. Huge thank you to them. Uh, On today's show, I'm speaking to Hannah Farley-Fodden, Head of Operations at the Oakland Group, a data analytics consultancy uh, headquartered in Leeds. Welcome to the show, Hannah. Hi. We usually start the show in and around the kind of world of education. Um, from all of my extensive research, I found out that you did a computing degree, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, and was yeah. how did that kind of was that something you? I don't know. Were you always interested in computing and being kind of hands on with with either software development or something like that, or or was it by chance? So um, actually, it's quite. Um, I suppose, interesting, not stereotypical route into um, computing. When I was like late teens, um, I was actually really keen into my martial arts and my sport. So I'm very fortunate to have, or very fortunate to be able to say that I've represented England twice um, internationally. So I've been able to travel to Switzerland and represent my country and represent to, uh, well, and flew to Canada, um, Niagara Falls which was really exciting and um, I specialise in weaponry and that is something that I am quite proud to be able to say that I do. Now that happened just as I was doing my GCSEs and my A-levels so it was very split between caring about school and caring about martial arts because that's definitely where I want to spend all of my time and that's where all of my friends were. As my A-levels, I actually was really kind of split between do I go into sport as a full-time career and become a full-time martial artist or do I go into kind of more business and IT and that as my generation, it was kind of a, that's where the money is. Now, as a 17-year-old, I actually ruptured my knee really badly. Um, so I was on crutches for a really long time. Um, I ruptured like pretty much all the ligaments and uh, tendons in my knee. And that actually resulted in me being on crutches and I almost had to completely drop out of sixth form because I couldn't no, could no longer do my A-level PE and they almost kicked me out because I had to drop the subject. And I remember really vividly having to be in my kind of head of sixth form, kind of really kind of scary conversation of sitting there going, look, I want to be here. I want to be here. I want to show you that... Um, I want to get my education with you guys. Um, But because of your rules, you're going to kick me out. And from a reputational point of view, you're you're going to look so shocking right now because the school in the previous year had given me a load of money to go to Canada um, and go do my sport. And because I've got injured, they were going to kick me out. Um, So me and my mum sat there and I had to like learn pretty quickly to be able to go in as these are the pros and cons of you keeping me at your college. So that from that point of view, because I could only be at a desk, I went into IT and kind of threw all my awe into it. So I didn't quit completely. I had to stop training quite a lot. I just kind of carried on teaching. But I went from training seven days a week, probably three hours a day, to just teaching probably an hour an evening, like Monday to Friday. Um, and a bit on a Saturday morning. So it was a kind of, a kind of a massive shift in my kind of direction of where I thought my life would be. Um, but I think would say it's turned out pretty all right. That's mental. So 
do you, had you not injured your knee do you think it would have been a really serious like chat with you and your mum like do I want to do this and try represent my country and be a full-time martial artist like for the next x amount of years and not even think about like a, a kind of quote-unquote backup career like it would have been throw yourself into it and see what happens yeah absolutely I guarantee that there would have been a conversation between me my mum my dad going right okay I'm not going to go to university I'm going to go I'm going to go set up my own martial arts studio I'm going to kind of start my own business that was going to be the route but yeah getting injured really stopped all that and we're going to go potentially down a rabbit hole, so I'll try not to because this podcast is supposed <laughs> to be loosely based on data and like business. Um, but you said you specialize in weaponry. Yes. Yes, I did. You've got to tell me what that means. So um, in the style of martial arts that I do, there is an option to kind of really go and specialize into various types of weaponry. And that can be, um, we call them bows, which are effectively your staff. You'll see them kind of people spinning them around in movies or about six foot staffs, throwing them all up into the air. Yeah. Um, I'm very fortunate to say that I learned that and that was my specialism. Um, I've also did a lot of things in something called camera and that again, that was all, it was, I'm so lucky to be able to say that I've learned all that and was able to go represent my country doing that. Yeah, no, that's amazing because there's so many different types of karate as well, right? There is. There's so many, so many out there. But I still keep my hand in it. I mean, with the pandemic, we've had to stop. Uh, but I'm still part of an association. I'm still part of the examination panel. Um, I'll still go and train people. I've, I've taken so many people to, like, black belts and beyond. Um, and I, I still get a lot of um, – well, I get a lot of good feelings out of doing it still. Yeah, and we might get onto it, but it's probably taught you a fair bit that you've taken into your career maybe not like literally but like from a discipline point of view from a coaching point of view kind of being able to deal with people's issues like you can probably talk to them at a different level than maybe I don't know someone with a typical background yeah I think my coaching is something that I've been well I've been teaching and coaching since I was about 14 now that is something that I think can very, again, I feel quite fortunate being able to do that. My mum and dad completely backed me in doing that. Um, and that has put me in good stead for the point I'm in my career now, like being people's line manager and helping mentor people through promotion and stuff like that. Um, I think it's also interesting because I also it means I care so much about all these people which obviously can bring its disadvantages when things are not going so great. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet. And so, like we said, you did a, a degree in computing and then we'll, we'll do like a, a super kind of whistle-stop two or three-year career. We really won't do it justice, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get we'll get through it. But you started straight after uni kind of in a kind of database administrator position, obviously putting the degree to good use, like using some of the skills you learned, right? Or you seem to be querying that. So that, so that, so the database administrator role that I did was actually while I was at university. Oh, cool. Was that like a, was it part of like an internship or was it just something you were doing? It's just something I was doing. So at the same time, while I was at uni, I was also working. So my, I was kind of full time at uni and then I must have done like, whether I was working at PC World as one as like the first female tech guy um, in West Yorkshire or I kind of went and worked as a bit more in-depth in data administration, I must have been doing 20 or 30 hours work at the same time as uni. And it was after university that actually I got on to, um, well, I suppose timeline-wise, I was still 
doing uni, but I got onto the Aviva IT and Change grad scheme. I've actually, I'll have to dig the numbers out, but I'm effectively out of like 3,000 applicants. I was one of four that got onto that grad scheme with Aviva. And again, being the only female that kind of appeared on that grad scheme that year and for subsequent years, I think, as far as I'm aware. That's amazing. Um, it's actually something we've not ever brought up on the show before, but you might relate to it given what you just said about working throughout uni. But, but we, so um, where, where I work, we only hire, um, we, we used to say grads, but what we mean by is that is like trainees with no prior experience, like doing recruitment. But mm-hmm. if we're hiring somebody straight from uni, one of the things I always like to check is like, did they work while they were at uni? Because I worked loads. Like I worked, yeah. in, a tes- I worked in a Tesco four full sh- like four three shifts during the week and one big one at the weekend to be able yeah. to like pay rent and go out and be silly um and it's always like a weird red flag for me when someone's done four years of uni and haven't worked at all yeah yeah i i agree but i thought I suppose like i see my my cousins and my brother who are a bit younger than me they didn't necessarily have all those opportunities because of the working environment and the kind of you know the the, the opportunities were there whereas you know i was slightly different so I didn't go and live out at uni I stayed at home so I was still able to kind of go to work and you know do all the things like you say go and be stupid um go and spend it on Westgate and Wakefield um so so yeah so I'm I, I personally would advise it to anybody if you can get a job even if it is in a bar or anything like that go and spend it because you'll give it'll give you that work experience now, I'm fortunate that I managed to work at PC World, which was in technology. And then I got an opportunity like for promotion to go and work in their very technical end of like setting people's laptops up. Um, now, that brought challenges in itself because you were, a, well, I was a girl working in a very male dominated role. And that was my first experience of being, I'd never really experienced it before about being the only girl doing stuff. But that was definitely my first introduction to that. Yeah, it must have been weird as well for someone that's been like coaching since they were 14 in a sport and like going all the way through school and stuff and not really noticing and then being like suddenly you're the only female. Like it's like a weird transition. Obviously, I've never done one of these grad schemes, but I imagine is it one of those ones where you get to touch on lots of different areas of the business and kind of you work in different areas, you meet different people and you kind of land somewhere that suits your skills or were you just kind of thrown in somewhere? So the way that Aviva do it, they're quite clever. Um, they interview you and spend a load of time doing these kind of interview panels, they make a load of notes, and then they go, right, this individual, where do we put them in the company? Yeah. Um, and I was really fortunate because I kind of got snapped up and put in a kind of seniorish level. So I got to experience how a company like that works, not just at the ground level up, but also from a managerial point. So I got to be able to do comms plans. I got to be able to do kind of more softer skill stuff as well as being part of IT. And then from there, I kind of went into kind of PMO. I also got a chance to go and be in the architecture team. And then I ended up in project management, which was really exciting. But it, um, I did have to spend quite a lot of time away from home. So I had to go and work in Norwich for a really long time. And that's that like four so or five years far away. Yeah, it is for me. It's four or five, like four, four working days, five working days away from home was really quite intense. Um, And it definitely put a strain on my kind of my family, my friends and things like that. And just not being able to see them. It was 
it was quite tough. Yeah, no, I bet. Did that, you mentioned kind of getting into that kind of project management, agile PM type environment, and, and it's kind of a theme throughout your career now, but back then mm-hmm. you were still touching on a lot of the technical work and, and you had come from that background. Did that just kind of appeal once you started doing it and you realized that that's somewhere that you could have a lot of like a lot of impact or, or at the start, did you kind of fight against it a little bit because you didn't get to do technical work? Um, no, if I'm honest, I kind of embraced it because as much as I love technology and I love all the gadgets, I do my husband's head in all the <laughs> gadgets I'll go and buy. I've got so many like little things that will be like, why on earth have we bought this? Like Amazon is my friend. Because every little gadget that comes up, I'm like, right, I'll just have one of one of those. But I'm also really love people, and me trying to find a role or a position in our industry that meant that I could be that kind of geeky and love all my little gadgets and all the technology that comes with it, as well as being with the people. Project management at the time was the only real thing that I saw of being able to play that bridge and start becoming the one that could understand the technology and the people and understand both sides yeah no so i think there's there's definitely been a shift in the last like it's been a bit longer now but there's definitely been a shift in the last 18 months two years where you almost don't get away with being a pure techie anymore like there's, there's still certain avenues in certain companies where you can like i am the person that does x and like if you don't want to speak about that leave me alone um yeah. I've never really got the stereotype of like developers in their own room and not talk to anyone. Like that's not, I've not come across that, but um, <laughs> it definitely seems like most of our clients anyway, and I know this is true for Oakland as well, is like you need to be able to chat to almost anyone about what you're working on and be able to adapt to that conversation. Like that's, that's a skill that's really difficult to, yeah. for, for some people to grasp. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would say that I'm really fortunate with the team that I've got at Oakland. Um, if they are working on something which is way beyond my technical understanding, um, particularly around, I would say, probably more like the dis- data science and machine learning element. Hmm. Um, I've got one of my colleagues that will very much, if I call him and go, right, tell me, give me 10 minutes so I can understand exactly what this means. And he will spend the time. And he won't just patronise me. It's very much he'll understand it and kind of go, right, okay, this is your level of understanding. This is what you now need to know. Um, so I'm really fortunate I've got that amount of, like that type of people in the the place I'm working. Yeah, no, I bet. I mean, I think that's why I did, I've done okay at the job that I do. Like if, if somebody can explain how they're implementing a certain thing in machine learning or data science to me, then they're probably going to be all right on a client site or like with one of our <laughs> clients. Like if they can even get it down to my level, then they'll be grand. So you you spent a bit of time at Aviva and then moved on to um, Anaplan, who it's fair to say are a pretty massive enterprise software company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, yeah, they are. They are. So when I joined Anaplan, however many years ago that is oh gosh went on again a massive learning curve there I went in as one of their only like I want to call it delivery lead scrum master project manager project coordinator um and I was kind of sitting across lots of different projects and programs and I was also one of the main people that could communicate well what Agile meant and how you flexed it up and flexed it down depending on your environment. 
and while I was there I was incredibly fortunate that I was able to be the, like kind of deployed out to San Francisco for a week oh, no. um, and I spent time there teaching their team working kind of like analyzing how they were working and going right okay I can see you kind of working like this have you tried this and then when I kind of finished with those guys I came back home and because of the all of the working relationship I built in that such small space of time I was able to still work with them remotely and then we started to roll out the practices in San Fran to the new team in Paris as well so kind of like three time zones three different development teams and that we're trying to align all of them to kind of do these kind of key things that's really cool and you probably like got more from like your week in San Fran and some of the work you did there than you would get potentially like in years at other companies oh absolutely absolutely I've, I've absolutely learned so much there um in the kind of next company that I moved to they had a term it was called a shed year is different to a an actual year um and the uh, Anaplan a week in Anaplan was like it was so intense compared to other sides of other companies that's for sure so yeah you see so well, you moved on to the data shed so we'll talk about them in a yeah. sec but you've had data shed in Oakland who are kind of leads based data companies and mm-hmm. both really successful in their own right and really interesting companies yeah. but do you think it's helped you work in it like a proper like enterprise software behemoth before you went down into smaller companies to kind of understand both I would say that me working in something like going in massive companies like Aviva, which is a massive UK company, a company that is stretched across the Atlantic, made me have some really good foundations, actually, before I went and started at, well, started at the shed. Yeah, because I think you can start at, and there's definitely not a right or wrong way to do this, no, no ways about it, but like if you start at a smaller company and that's the only thing you've ever experienced like it can you can almost become a little bit tunnel vision with it um, yeah. and maybe that's that's for you but we've had loads of people on the show that started at Accenture or Deloitte or something like that <laughs> and, and you get that couple of years grounding working for this just massive company yeah I think it really helped me in my consultancy I would say because you've got an appreciation of actually these are all the different types of firms that are out there so when you're going and rocking up to all these different people and they're like, oh, well, we're in this massive firm, you've got something relatable and you're kind of yeah. on the same page with them. So I would say that that is really, yeah, it, it built me a really good foundation. And it probably helps you kind of, because I, I imagine that in a smaller consultancy, there's an element of being a bit scrappier than some of the big kind of so-called big guys. But having been on the other side of the fence, you can kind of use that to your advantage as well. Oh, yeah, you definitely know which, which fish you need to go and uh, fry, that's for sure. You know, you know, you do know which people you need to go and talk to and which, to be honest, also you know which ones are wasting your time. Yeah, and that's uh, that's probably the biggest learn anyway, to, to avoid those people. So we're almost there. We're almost all the way through your career in like <laughs> 11 minutes. But you spent a decent chunk of time, actually. We've mentioned them already, the, the data sheds. Um, yeah. We've had Anna on the show, so people will probably be uh, – familiar with the name so there as we said kind of leads based data analytics company you were again working in that product owner like scrum master type position yeah so i'm 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 very proud to say that i was like shedder 007 so um i saw that company go from um one 
one office, like one kind of small office in the business centre. And I was very fortunate over the four years that I was there to see it grow from like I was number seven. to I think there was like 42, 43 members of staff when I left. And being part of that firm and watching them go through that scale up was such an incredible opportunity that I think maybe I didn't always realise it when I was there. Um, but it, oh my gosh, it has taught me so many lessons. But yes, we used to have a bit of a joke that kind of one one year was actually seven years in the world um, of industry. And it is so true. The, the wrinkles and the worry lines definitely, uh, definitely make up for that. But there's such a fantastic bunch of people. Anna Anna's a fantastic mentor. And watching her go through the journey that she did, that was an honor to watch. Yeah, no, they're a really cool company. We've had them speak at a couple of events and obviously spoke to Anna on this. Uh, and they just come across really well, like in all their social media stuff as well. It's weird, though, because I, pro- I was probably 10th person in our small office when I joined, so kind of similar level to you. And, like, mm. it's, it's quite a weird, like, feeling after a couple of years having, like, 30. And because we had, like, we had an awful office that we still joke about that we miss it because it was, like, <laughs> it was essentially a converted flat on a nice street in town that it wasn't functional for, like, a business, but we made it work. And then we moved to this big fancy office on, like, a nicer part of town and it just felt like weird being in like this big <laughs> fancy place like I, I don't know it's it's a strange thing like kind of growing up if you like yeah so I've got the so the I've got distinct memories of us having all been in this office around a whiteboard with um two brown kind of like um leather sofas and I know when we moved that we still made sure that we had whiteboards but I know that the brown sofas also came with us um <laughs> So they they weren't necessarily in the most predominant place in the office, but they were still there and still used. Um, And I imagine they're still being used today. Um, Or they certainly will be when the gang get back to the office. Yeah, when we're allowed to see people and talk to people and stuff. Um, (laughs) So about, I think this is right, about nine months ago or so now? August, yeah, August. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, in August 2020, uh, you joined Oakland. Do you want to tell us a little bit about, I suppose, the role that you decided to to join and do, and, and kind of a, a little bit about uh, kind of Oakland themselves? Um, and I suppose it's maybe worth touching on as well, like why you decided to to join kind of a company in the middle of a pandemic. Like, what was it that attracted you? So, um, a man that has now become a friend, who's a recruiter at Gravitas, Dan Mills, casually sent me a message. Um, on LinkedIn on a Sunday evening um, last July, uh, maybe June, July time, and said, do you want to come have a look at this firm? They really need somebody with your skill set, massive growth opportunities. And actually, he was right in terms of I should have just taken a leap. Now, me and Dan must have had hours on the phone kind of going, I don't know if I want to move, Dan. It's a pandemic. Why would I want to move? I've been at this firm for four years. Why on earth would I want to move? And to be fair to him, uh, as somebody who has now been working with recruiters for a little bit now and working with your team, Liam, he was so tenacious. It was really incredible because he was very much, and he saw something in me that was like, do you know what? You need to move and you now need to grow now. It's time to take the next step in your career. 
and with like kind of everybody kind of coming out of lockdown at the time last summer and it was all kind of looking incredibly positive last August and July time I decided to take the leap and if I'm honest I obviously have got a lot of people that were regarded as friends at the data shed but from a professional point of view I think it's the best decision I've made to move to Oakland um I've been able to take a lot of the experiences that I've had at the shed being able to um, apply that or take learnings from the shed and kind of apply that to my own kind of approach to um, what I'm doing now in my new role Um, so yeah that's that's kind of the why I've got a very tenacious recruiter so you know watch out for those types of guys I was going to say, and I don't normally praise other recruiters. I was going to say on the show, but just ever because they're all terrible. But uh, <laughs> it's a really good story because we get a lot of like we get a lot of crap in the job we do about like just in it for the money, blah blah blah. Like it would have been quite easy for him just to go and speak to someone else. But it like, would have. Sometimes you just kind of get a feeling, and like there's certain people I've worked with again and again over the last few years, and you kind of just know when either a role suits or a person suits a business, and like when you do get to that like you just you really just wanted to make it happen and make it work so that's that's a really good story that's why I've never really dealt with recruiters myself really that much um I obviously kind of employed them as part of like looking for people but I've never had that myself yeah and to be honest with the impression that he left with me from having that experience as a candidate definitely took him why am I like when I started at Oakland I helped building the team I was automatically going to go back to that person yeah. um, because I knew that he looked after candidates and knew that he would be that, yeah, tenacious person that just was not going to let go unless he found the right person. I just really hope there's a butt coming so, like, it doesn't seem quite so perfect, but uh, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, uh, I'm sure he's not so perfect, but he's been pretty all right for me. He's probably, like, a Leeds fan or something. Um Possibly, possibly. He, he is uh, he is based in Leeds, so you never know. <laughs> and so Oakland that you joined nine months ago, mm-hmm. and Oakland that people maybe knew even two years ago, if anyone's ever heard of Oakland Group in Leeds, um, it's quite a different picture, right? So, like, what was the kind of what was the company you joined, if you like? Like, what what was the reason to, to kind of go? So Oakland themselves are a 35-year-old firm that have predominantly been in process improvement and dealing with kind of strategy elements. Now, they got had the opportunity, like I think it's now four or four, five years ago, they decided internally to, they saw an opportunity in the market to pivot more into data and analytics. So with the fact they've got a 35-year-old um, or 35 year old foundations to be able to go we know we can work with all these big firms we've done operational excellence and to include data analytics as things something that's side by side I think they've really owned that is the honest answer I saw them owning it they've told me about all of the projects they're working on they told me about some of the clients they were working with and I was really impressed which is why I uh I came to uh came, I, 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 I want to say I uh Move to move to Auckland. Yeah, I like the way you and Ali explain it. Like it's a like a thirty five year old startup. So like if someone's yeah. looking to join you, you don't get that. Oh my god, am I going to get paid next month? But you do get the like, this project's coming in my ears. Like this is really fun. 
Yes, we've got a lot of stability with the fact that we've got our director team and particularly like Professor John Oakland. He's done a lot of good things where he's gone out into and built that kind of reputational experience and kind of with Richard, Rob, Andy, you know, and Rod, those guys have done the things they've they've put the years in and they've built up that reputation within Oakland and external with the kind of our big clients. So we kind of work um, and have worked with for a really long time with um, Network Rail and Vodafone. So we've kind of got those household names that we are working with. Um, and I think that was such an exciting experience. You've already know these household names. It's like, wow, I want to go work with those people. And yeah, from the startup point of view, because you've it's the feeling of um, we're all in it together. Um, Andy and I did a talk a few months ago now where it's sort of about of the team feeling of would you jump out of a helicopter with them? And that is so true. We would. Like I could pick most of my team, um, including a of the newbies, actually, bless him. I would go, right, OK, I'd jump out of a helicopter with you guys. And that's the kind of persona that we're and environment we are. Um, developing which is super exciting i just wouldn't get in a helicopter but i'd maybe jump out of one uh, <laughs> just to get me in at first uh yeah, no it, it, it sounds really good and you know what and it makes sense when you've kind of explained it like that and i know when andy and i have chatted before that it kind of makes sense that you guys are owning it because do you know like the big thing that i see with some data consultancies and stuff they have some really 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 good people like really good technical people but they either don't have the clients or they struggle to get certain customers to buy into like what they're doing. So like there is some people that have pivoted and maybe they were the kind of big four are all trying to be data analytics consultancies now, Mm. but they're so ingrained in one thing and like, it's hard to kind of do that pivot. So the fact that you guys have done it and just like, just totally ran with it. And now there's a lot of people that only know you as like the data analytics company, like, which is really quite cool as well. Yeah. So we I think it's kind of a case of we're really quite good at putting things hand in hand, which is where actually we want to start embedding data and analytics and kind of the core engineering. Within your organization, you just don't want this team in a silo just sat here just coding away and doing everything with the company. You want all of that kind of IT and the staying in touch with kind of what's the new trends are. You want to keep that in your organization and bring everybody along with the journey. I think it's said quite a few times by my firm that there is no silver bullet, like in order for data and analytics. There's no one thing that you can go and do and say, right, well, that's it. We're done. We're data and analytics. We know what we're doing. We live and breathe data. It doesn't work like that. You've got to start small. Start with the biggest value and build on that. Yeah. No, that's massive. And we've talked about that quite a lot in the show. It's like, what are you doing? And is it? Like, is it delivering value? I know I went to a talk when a data consultancy had their, I think it was like chief revenue officer or something. And mm-hmm. her, her job is obviously to sell buying their data consultancy. But she was like, if you ever get a consultancy pitch you a cool project, and she was like, specifically if they use the word cool, she was like, just walk out. She was, <laughs> like, you want, she was like, you want a value. Like, you want like, what is this doing to help me save money, save time or whatever? Like, but something that isn't just like, this is shiny and new yeah no there's no point doing just something shiny and new and we can kind of name drop loads of different technologies but unless you have got your data strategy your governance your people your processes and as well as your data all working together kind of in harmony 
it's not going to get embedded and you don't want to be that flash in the pan project that spent a load of money and then you didn't get any value out of the back of it. Yeah, data governance isn't like sexy and isn't going to like no. win people awards, but it's so important. It's not going to win. It's not going to win the best dressed award or anything like that. Of course it's not. But we've got to remember that these things are important and these are the things that matter to our large companies that everybody knows in the household names. Yeah, if you make a if you make a mess of network rail or Vodafone's data, like it's not just Oakland that are gonna like hear about it. It's gonna be like front page news. So like yeah. you need to be careful. Um, to- which, which is super interesting though, and it's, it's a kind of it's maybe not talked about in kind of data world, but it is super important. Yeah. Um what's it been like joining a company totally remotely and then also to kind of flip onto that you've done a bunch of hiring completely remotely so not only have you not met the team you've hired people that you've not met that have also not met the team (laughs) so so the team at Oakland have done an amazing job I want to say I like hats off to them they've done an amazing job at onboarding people remotely now because I joined in August I had a couple of weeks where I could be in the office a few days a week like booking desks and you know two meters distance and things like that so I have met a few of my colleagues face to face uh, before Christmas um, but yeah since then I've been working remotely but with them but also with my clients so one of my kind of key clients is Blenheim Palace so I'm kind of it's so exciting to work with those guys because you wouldn't normally think of somebody who is like a heritage home to be that advanced with data and analytics but the team down at Blenheim um they actually had to embrace the pandemic because of everything closing because of hospitality and um we actually built them a solution that meant that they could run their events in such a covid secure way so i won as much as like moving a job and hiring and sorry being part of this kind of firm remotely it meant i could be remote for my clients and help them with a solution that they needed because they were all trying to be remote and operate in such a covid secure way do you think, and this is what happens on this show, I just go off on tangents and get things in my head. <laughs> Do you think that COVID has helped companies like Oakland and even like the data shed and other people? Because there is certain clients that have always been like, well, if I'm going to pay for a consultancy, I want them on site. Like I want to see them. I want to know what's going on. I want to put a face to their name. Do you think some companies now are thinking like what a good job they did completely remotely? Like we can do that. Um, I can't speak for others. Um, I would say from an Oakland point of view, it has been beneficial because we have been able to support our clients in the most effective way and also be able to support other... We've been able to kind of expand that capacity because we're not spending five, six hours in the car driving to the other end of the UK, getting on trains and things like that. Those five or six hours we've been able to spend, actually, well, you know, we'll give half a day to this client and actually half a day we can go and do something else and whether that's internal processes that need improving growing the team or looking for new opportunities we've been able to kind of i want to say redeploy that time yeah no it makes sense i mean i I was getting the train to manchester every couple of weeks and now haven't done for well like a year and a bit um and I, i definitely want to go back and like see people and come down to leeds again and stuff but like it does make sense if you can fill the time doing something else so you've been involved in building teams in a few different places you've worked. And obviously you mentioned Data Shed was seven up to 42. 
I know from us working together, Oakland are growing like crazy. Yeah. Do you have like a kind of tried and tested approach as to kind of how you like to recruit people? Maybe not so much in the kind of nitty gritty of like certain questions and stuff, but like, is there a thing that's going to stood you in good stead over your career that has helped when hiring? That is a very, very good question. So I personally, like my colleagues will probably disagree on this one. I like to know not just about the person that is sat at the keyboard doing their day job. I want to know what drives them outside of work. So when I meet somebody for the first time, I'm less about, okay, tell me about your CV and what through your experience. I'm much more about, of okay, so who are you outside of work? And if I can make that one of my first questions, I can see some candidates are like, oh, my God, why, why are you asking me these questions? Like, these are not stereotypical interview questions. Why are you asking me them? Yeah, because um, everyone prepares for, like, tell me about a time you resolved a conflict at work or, like, exactly. where do you want to be in five years? Like, no one cares about that. <laughs> no. So I'm like, okay, so what do you do? Like, what's, who's at home? You know, who's at home? Who's your, is it, is it a pet? Is it children? Is it um, mum and dad? You know, kind of like, who is it? Who is it? Who's this person that I'm actually speaking to? Because I think if you can start to build a more of a rapport on a kind of human level, as well as understanding if that person is a good, good at their job, um, I think that is what's put me in good stead. So I've, I've obviously with with you, with you guys, we've obviously gone through a lot of um, technical recruitment as well as um, delivery lead recruitment and BA recruitment um, and probably various other roles as well. Being able to get to the bottom of understanding who they are as a person, do those values match up with us as a company? Um, I think that is the bit that I personally like to find out much more and if that person can deal with the fact of me just going, all right, so what did you do last weekend? <laughs> and seeing if they react in a positive or negative way, and that helps you judge actually where you take the rest of the interview. And not because you're going to be any, you know, give anybody a disservice because they don't want to share that information. It's just a case of, right, well, you know that this is an incredibly professional person. You don't want, they don't want to blur the lines. That's also fine. But if you can get it so you understand it a bit more about their values and what drives them, I think that can bring you a cohesive team. Yeah, no, I, really, I really like that. And I, I'm sure, um, I, I'm sure, I don't know if I spoke to Ali or, or someone else about this, but they'd mentioned sometimes you will open interviews with that kind of question. And I think it makes a lot of sense because, like, it, obviously, it will, people might have a bit of like a, oh, like what I wasn't expecting that but then hopefully the whole point is to kind of disarm them a little bit like you're not on an interview it's not like a scary I'm Hannah I'm the head of operations I'm going to shout at you for an hour like it's like you want you want to know a bit more about them and like do you know as well like when I've done loads of interviews for our team you can totally tell when someone's super passionate about something and even if that's got next to nothing to do with what we do as a job like it's it's good like for me that's a really good sign that they've got like something about them that they love even if it's something i don't care about like i can just like get something out of them and pretend um <laughs> but that's fine uh, but yeah it shows you that they've got something about them i think and like if they can't answer questions about what did you do at the weekend or like what do you like doing in your spare time you're kind of like oh you must like doing something yeah and it's very rare that that question doesn't work and it's just something quite dis- quite similar ali takes the mick out of me all the time for it um it's like you're being a nosy neighbor 
And it's like, well, I am being a bit nosy because I want to know if I want to work with that team. And actually, do I want to jump out of a helicopter with that person? Yeah, no, 100%. My friend stands by that if you're ever in a room of people you don't know, just ask everyone the top three favorite biscuits. And it'll, nice. it, 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 it disarms everyone and you get a full on argument, a debate. Like, it just like, even if people don't want to talk to you in that room and somebody says like the wrong biscuit, they, they, they just go nuts. So it's a, it's a good one. If you've got an awkward interview, you can just chuck that in. One of the reasons that we started this show and kind of talking to a whole different bunch of people. So like we've had CEOs, we've had heads of data, we've had senior data scientists, we've had kind of commercial people who've never done anything technical in their life. Um, mm-hmm. So you come from like a technical background, yeah. but also have a huge amount of experience now as kind of like project manager, product owner, now kind of head of ops doing mixture of all of those things client services um, <laughs> yeah it's kind of like to get involved in this weird and wonderful world of data like you kind of need all of that right like you can't you can't just have an amazing team of data scientists and you also on the flip side can't just have a bunch of amazing client services people like it needs to be a nice mix yeah i like being the translator between the two now i, I don't do foreign languages i i taught myself a little bit of french when I went to Paris the other year, just to be able to get by and order a croissant properly. Um, but I would say that I'm pretty good at translating between business and technical. And I like being that bridge. And I'm building a team around me that is um, able to be that bridge and bring that support with me. And that is something that's quite exciting. I really like being able to be in both camps, actually. Because I think it means you have better educated decisions and I think you can you can bring your clients along a journey with them. And as if you can start pulling um, both sides together and get them as close as you can, I think the communication can also work better and everybody knows what they're kind of same page and everyone knows what they're getting. It must help you a little bit as well when you are like speaking to clients or the internal team and there's something going on within the kind of technical solution and yeah okay maybe you couldn't sit and like do it all by yourself but like you've you've got enough of a background and enough of a kind of understanding that you can help with like how long it's going to take like what are these issues like what could maybe what could what else could maybe work like it's not one of those where you're just sitting there as like the quote-unquote like salesperson and you're like (laughs) yeah you should do this I'll pass you on to the people that actually do it yeah, so just to be really clear, I think if Dixon, our head of architecture, thought I was anywhere near code right now, I think he would disable my access like 100% right now. He would. Because I am, yes, I did code a while ago. And yes, I can read SQL and kind of do, I would say, mid to basic adv- uh, kind of SQL queries. There is no way he's, he's letting me anywhere near his solutions. Like, it's just not. But what I do have is the working relationship with Dixon that I can go to him. He can kind of, we kind of stand in lockstep with each other so that he can kind of go and push the back on the team. of Like if they're kind of, you know, not exactly doing what they need, I can also go and push back on the client when they're being too difficult. And being in lockstep with that type of individual, so it's not just Dixon, it's a kind of Alex, any of the kind of senior technical team the fact that him and I can have conversations about various technologies and him not have to do all of the kind of, I would say grunt work around explaining it to the client and the fact he can rely on me and know that I won't misrepresent 
any of the technical team in that conversation, I think works quite well. Yeah, because that's where technical people can sometimes get burnt out, right? Especially in the environment that Oakland and, and others are in, is that you ask quite a lot of them, like, they have to build the solution. They have to manage their own team of technical people. They have to like sit in the meeting with the strategy director and all of the client. And like, it can be a little bit overwhelming. So it's nice to have, like you said, someone to kind of dovetail off of. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think it's that working out where's the handoff points. Yeah. No, that makes Um, sense. And that's the bit that can work well, no matter if you're a junior developer, mid developer, senior developer, head of architecture, doesn't matter what level of technology was if you can rely on somebody who's not just in your team to be able to go and take your point and communicate that i think that's where you can build a really cross-functional team which is yeah. what we are wanting to do at Oakland. no 100 percent. and uh last question for today what does kind of the rest of 2021 look like for Oakland like I know you there's a lot of growth going on there's lots of exciting stuff going on but is it just kind of is it just keep growing that really good team and keep delivering really really good solutions yeah so I think we want to grow the team um as in but we don't want to grow it so much that we have unbearable growing pains um I think every firm who is expanding will find growing pains but sometimes you've got to find to a point of where do you stop and just let the dust settle and then kind of, you know, take your foot off the gas of the recruitment, embed the team, get them up to speed, get them through their kind of probation process, get them kind of really, really embedded in the firm and then start again. And not being too afraid of taking your foot off that recruitment gas and um, the kind of sales gas and just making sure that your team around you is still functioning and those, those growing pains are not unbearable. So, yeah, we are looking to hire various roles at the moment. Ali will kill me because I can't remember all of them. But predominantly, I think we're looking to expand the technical team, uh, technical consultant. We're wanting senior developers as well as mid-developers. And that's a range of technical skills. So it's C-sharp, it's Python, it's SQL. um, And we've got all kind of like application development as well as data engineering skills that we're needing. Yeah, so it's, it's basically all systems go for all the foreseeable. I can't, it's so exciting. We are currently doing like our 2021, 2022 um, business planning as an SLT. Yeah. And it's so exciting. I mean, for me personally, because I've never been, I've never been part of that before. And this is kind of my first senior leadership role. Um, so being part of that and going through this journey with the company is really exciting. Nice one. We'll have to get you guys back on and see how things have changed and kind of what's going on but next thank you so time maybe i'll be talking more and more about growing things <laughs> but yeah we, we hired so many people since we last spoke um no but thank you so much for joining really do appreciate it and, and it's uh, it's great to hear about oakland and how well everyone's doing yeah thank you thank you very much for inviting me